welcome to episode 89 of All About Fitness. The purpose of this podcast is to help you learn how to use fitness to enhance your quality of life. Now, a number of my guests have been top leaders in the fitness industry. Some have been authors, some have been researchers, some have been company CEOs. Well, one of the other things I'm trying to do on this podcast is bring you some of the leaders of the future, some of the up-and-coming stars of the fitness industry, and that's exactly what today is. Kevin Mullins is a personal trainer and educator based out of, well, unfortunately, Washington, D.C. I say that because uh, a number of my guests have been from the Washington, D.C. area, and, and that just, you know, that's where I'm from. I, I worked in that. I worked in the city for a number of years. I grew up there, and there are a number of fitness, uh, fitness industry leaders in the D.C. area. And Kevin is, is one of those guys. Kevin Mullins is a personal trainer and educator with Equinox in downtown Washington, D.C. He's also been somebody that's been on the radar of men's health. He applied for and has been a finalist in one or two of the competitions that men's health has run and looking for you know up-and-coming personal trainers. In addition, Kevin has recently released a book on exercise program design. So in episode 89 of All About Fitness, Kevin Mullins and I had an opportunity to catch up we don't know each other that well. Our paths have just crossed a few times. We have an opportunity to catch up, talk exercise program design, but we also talk about gym etiquette because I think that's something that we can all work on. I know I can work on a little bit better. Um, just be more mindful, be more aware of people in the gym or people around us in the gym environment. We talk a little bit about gym etiquette, and we also get into some of the exercise program design strategies that maybe you're not doing and if you're stuck on a plateau, if you're kind of trying to reach a new level in your fitness program, Kevin has some great ideas for what you can do to kind of push beyond where you are right now. So after a brief word from the sponsor of All About Fitness, Kevin Mullins, personal trainer, educator, and now author. What is part bench, part balance trainer? part stability ball, part jump box, and all results. The TerraCore by Vicor Fitness. Specially designed to help enhance balance, strength, agility, and metabolic conditioning, the TerraCore is quickly becoming the go-to piece of workout equipment used by fitness professionals around the world. Whether you're training to earn that eight-figure contract or just trying to get in better shape, the TerraCore will help you achieve results you never thought possible. TerraCore by Vicor Fitness, the shape of things to come. Go to www.vicorefitness.com and use code AAF, that's all about fitness, AAF, to save 20% on the purchase of a TerraCore. I'm Pete McCall, all about fitness. I'm on the line today with Kevin Mullins uh, out of Washington, D.C. Well, currently you're in Florida, Kevin, but what do you do? What, uh, what, type, what do you do in the fitness business, and, and where, where exactly are you located for your job? Hey, Pete. Thanks for having me on. Uh, I'm a master instructor and Tier 3 Plus coach for Equinox Sports Club in Washington, D.C. I also manage my own site, KevinMullinsFitness.com, uh, and do contributions to the Personal Trainer Development Center, PT on the Net, uh, as well as Men's Health and a few other publications. Now, and that's one of the things I want to ask you about. And, and for listeners, you know, it's funny because Kevin's another Washington, D.C. connection. Um, you know, I've had a few guests on uh, on the podcast, uh, Kevin, from my time in D.C., but we never worked together, did we? No, we did not overlap. Uh, we have probably 
the highest group of mutual friends possible without actually overlapping. Yeah, because Kevin's at um, Kevin's at, at the club. He, he works at the club. The, one of the clubs I used to work in in D.C. and actually a company I used to work for as a national fitness director. Uh, Kevin worked in that location. That's when we first met a few years ago or after I left the company. And um, actually, Kevin, when I was in D.C. training, I think you're probably still in high school or college <laughs> as I think about it. I think I'm going to leave that part out. I'm going to bow out and just like, <laughs> but it, it's, it's highly possible. I was still working on my kines degree at uh, Maryland while you were still training and, and holding it down In DC. Uh, at DC at what used to be the sports club LA. Yeah. And, and, and what I want to talk about, what I kind of want to br- bring you on about is because one of the things that, uh, you know, we've connected via social media. And one of the things, Kevin, is I love your sense of humor and I love some of the stuff you talk about in terms of gym etiquette. And so I want to bring you on since, since you work in, in, a, in, a, in a well-known health club company, you know, we're coming into the time of year where a lot of people are coming back to the clubs. You know, for those of us, we live there full time, you know, actually December is my favorite time of year to train because you get rid of a lot of the riffraff. But um, what, what do you think is the biggest mistake when it comes to club etiquette that you see? And we don't need to just talk about, you know, where you work, but just in general, what do you think are some of the mistakes um, that people make when it comes to just etiquette in the health club environment? I think beyond all else is that people seem to get a membership at a gym and they think that makes them the only member. Um, and they forget that other humans are around, you know, at the club I'm at, you know, at any given time, we have a couple hundred people on the fitness floor, but you'll see people who it's not even just hogging the equipment. It's if you even walk near them, they're like, what are you doing? Why are you here? As if, we're in their living room with them, you know, like they're in doing an in-home workout and we're suddenly in their front lawn. Um, so I think the number one etiquette fail is that people forget that you are a part of a corporate or public environment and that other people will come by you or use the dumbbells you want to use. Um, and people lack that flexibility to deal with a crowd. Well, it is funny because you, and I, I know exactly what you mean. Cause I see that. I mean, I was working out at a, um, at a nonprofit. I won't say the name of the place, but it's a nonprofit uh, fitness facility. There may have been a song about it in the 1970s, but um, <laughs> it was. But you see that there. I, I saw just yesterday. I was there working out, and, and there were a couple of kids hogging one piece of equipment, and, and one of the older guys got mad at them because, come on, guys, you got to share, you know. And I really think it's that sense of just people get zoned in on on what they're doing. What do you think? You know, how do you think people could could ha- could do better, share better? You know, don't you think it, that, that being at the health club is an opportunity to interact with others? I mean, I think I, I, this would be like if we could go to Men in Black and get that thing that wipes everybody's memory. <laughs> I think if we could speak to the world population as a whole, you would you would use it as a teaching opportunity. And you would have that conversation always start with, well, what are you doing? Like, why are you doing what you're doing? Right. So I'll have. I'll, I'll be training a client. I'll be using a piece of equipment and a member will stumble up and they're like, uh, how many more sets do you have? You're like, I have like three more. Uh, I have a little circuit, but if you want to work in on this, oh no, I got to strip it and do X, Y, Z. I'll just wait. And you're like, okay, cool. But then they kind of hover. But if they were smart, they might not hover and just start texting everyone in their phone or fiddling around on Facebook. They would watch and see the methodologies that maybe a professional would take or someone else in the gym. Maybe you want to get on the squat rack and you're about to put your 225 on and do your two inch squats. But this guy only has 135 on, but he's going, you know, full depth, good heel drive, knees are out. Maybe ask him, Hey, like, how did you learn to squat so low? But I think people get so caught up in their own business. Nobody wants to 
take the shot to their ego that they just, I want what I want. I want it now. Get out of my way. I know what I'm doing. Even when, like, you know, 90% of people in a gym are pretty clueless. Well, and you're saying this, and it's funny, Kevin, so I'm thinking, you know, what's been the big trend in the last five to seven years? What has really disrupted the fitness industry in the last five to seven years? I would say nothing more than CrossFit and the return to the barbell. And when we look at CrossFit, have you done many CrossFit workouts? I've done a few in my life. I, I, I've had a few bad experiences that I've shied away from a box in D.C., but um, I've done the workouts on my own, the same, you know, Bertha and Martha and Jennifer. I don't know. They always have names. Yeah. Well, but I want to point out with, with what CrossFit and what the studio environment has done that's so different because – when you look at a gym, when you look at a commercial gym, you you have the you have the weight floor, what we're talking about. You have the cardio equipment, and then you have the fitness um, the fitness studio. So you have like three silos within a gym. That's what we used to call it with one company I worked with. And what's interesting to me, you know, in hearing you say this or to hear what you describe it, is that the group fitness environment, and I include CrossFit in there, is all about sharing and connecting and having a shared experience. Mm-hmm. Has that been your experience with it? I mean, do you see that difference between the weight floor and the studio environment? I mean, I would argue that if you, you know, our, the way our floor at, at Equinox is laid out, the downstairs is where a lot of the heavier lifting or the Olympic lifting is allowed. Um, we have rubber plates and rubber mats and we can actually get after it. The people that frequent that area, whether they're members, personal training clients, the trainers themselves, there's like this camaraderie of like, hey, you're doing awesome. I'm doing awesome. Like, keep working hard. I don't want to get in your way. Like, go ahead. And everybody's very patient and works together. But if you go upstairs near the bench presses and the dumbbell racks where the average Joe Schmo is up there just doing what they've been doing for years, it's a completely different culture. It's get out of my way, get out of my mirror space. And so I think you're right. Is that CrossFit or that that style of returning to the barbell and and working together can be seen in some places, but then there's other corners of the gym where it's very much get out of my way. No, I, I just I think I haven't really thought about that much, but I'm really thinking about because I, I, you know, what one friend of mine said about CrossFit, and, and then we'll move on to another line of conversation. But he, he made me giggle because he said CrossFit made it cool to work to run around the block for your workout, you know, and he made it, <laughs> and I think that's really been one of the things that has changed is kind of changed that gym environment. And I think you're so right, dude. I think that that when I think about it, anywhere that has one of those functional training spaces, there's a flow in that functional training space. You know, you might be doing your thing, I might be doing my thing, but I can see what you're doing and I know that you have purpose. And so I kind of, you know, we we work together. Whereas if we're working on like just a piece of equipment like the bench press, I think it becomes a much more kind of this is my space. I mean, have you am I am I did you understand what I'm trying to say? No, you're, you're, I think you're spot on too. And I think it has to do with, you know, that's something where time under the barbell or just work time, um, you know, you see in a run group, right? Like marathoners aren't typically rude to amateur runners. They help them. You know, I, I think that's where experience and whether you're a trainer or a coach or not, or if you're just, you know, you love fitness, you tend to bring other people along with you because you're like, this is awesome. You need a little help or you just need somebody to push you. So I think, like you said, that flow state that comes around the functional spaces comes from people being like, I know where you're at in your journey. Like, I would do nothing to stop you. Keep getting it. Whereas with a bench press, it's like, oh, well, this guy's benching more than me. He must be taking drugs. And everybody just gets really, you know, egotistical or vulnerable. 
Well, one thing I want to ask you, Kevin, is, is how do you approach people as a trainer when you're working out or whether you're working the floor? How do you approach people on the floor? So if I, like, if I were working out and I thought I saw somebody that, that might need just a little suggestion, you know, whether you're as a trainer or as, a, as another just member enthusiast, is there a right way? Is there a wrong way to maybe offer a little bit of advice? I think there's definitely a wrong way. And that wrong way is always just going right at the problem, right? Hey, you're going to get hurt or, hey, you're doing that wrong or, hey, I can make it better. Because then immediately someone's psychological guard is going to go right up and they're going to think to themselves, hey, who the hell is this guy? Um, and that's whether you're a trainer or just a fitness enthusiast. I think people don't want to be approached. Um, but in my experience as both a person who's worked out in gyms around the nation um, and in the world, um, and as a trainer who has had to pick up clients, build a business, and just you know be a part of a large corporate culture, I think the best way to offer assistance or if you're a trainer, pick up business is to ask someone, hey, what are you trying to do? Like, what is your goal here? And then if they're saying, oh, I'm deadlifting because I know it gives me stronger legs and nicer butt and a bigger back. Okay, um, have you ever taken the time to like understand what a deadlift is? You know, no, I read a men's health article once, said I should deadlift, said I shouldn't round my back, but you know, no one's ever like taken the time. Well, then instead of saying, I'm going to fix it, you ask them. People like questions. You know, you go to McDonald's, they ask you, would you like fries with that? And so I've always found it great to be like, would it be okay if I show you a thing or two that's helped me along the way and helped my clients? And if it works for you, that's great. If not, I'll, you know, leave you to your devices. And most people aren't going to turn down a favor. And so I think to go back to that core question is simply not approaching people like you're better than them or you know more than them, but rather... I would like to share something with you because I think it would help. Yeah, I think you're right because I, I like the question approach. Uh, what I've found that, that I tend to do is I'll ask somebody, where'd you learn that? Or where'd you get your program? You know, because obviously they, they have some thought. There's some thought behind it. You can tell, you know, and I'll have you, I want to get your, your feedback on that because you can tell when somebody's doing something with purpose on the gym floor and when somebody's just kind of there doing something because they think they need to do it. But that's that's how I'll start that conversation. It's like, hey, where'd you get that program? Or that's that's what, why are you doing that? You know, kind of like, how'd you get that? And what I like doing is I like turning people on to other experts, especially when I see women. And I don't generally I try not to approach women unless I see them like lifting heavy weights. And I'll ask like, hey, where'd you learn that? Because I want to refer them to sources that I know, like you know Artemis Scanalides or Jen Sinkler or Molly Galbraith. I want to say, hey, did you know there's a community out there doing this? That that you know, community of women out there deadlifting or community of women out there lifting heavy. And I want to kind of turn them into that. Is, can you tell Kevin, when, when you see somebody working on the floor of whether they're training with purpose? Oh, absolutely. And I, I think it's really the approach, uh, to an exercise, right? So exercises are easy. Uh, any magazine or website or trainer can feature three to 10 exercises that are good exercises. Right. And this is something I talk about, uh, when I teach trainers and clients alike that the exercise is the easy part. But it's the approach that you can really tell the difference between a person who's doing something they've heard of or they saw in a magazine and a person who's following a program or a methodology. And so, you know, when I walk by and I see a new member or maybe somebody I've seen all the time, but I see them digging in their heels and lengthening their arms over a barbell and then pushing their hips back and then taking a big breath, then going down and lift, I know at some point in their life, Someone taught them about the Valsalva maneuver. They taught them about how to create tension through the floor and taught them how to assess whether or not their spine's at optimal length. 
um, versus the person who just, you know, walks into the gym cold, puts their headphones in, slaps on a couple plates, starts yanking at it. Um, so really, to me, you can tell the difference between someone who's training a program and training exercises simply by how they're setting up to do said exercise. And so when you're working with somebody, say, you know, I'm not really asking you for free advice, but say you're working with somebody like me in my mid 40s, you know, a little bit of an athletic background, probably th- I would probably think I was a greater athlete than I actually was. But and I'm just trying to tell we all, <laughs> um, you know, the older what's, what's the T-shirt I've seen, the older I get, the better I was. Um, but don't how do you approach somebody like that? And what's your approach to method to, to personal training? Or, or sorry, what's your approach to program design? So when somebody comes to you that might be in the mid 40s, it says, hey, I just want to work out because what is, what what are the two generic goals that almost every individual says to you when they ask you questions about fitness or when they tell you their goals? What are the two generic goals that you hear all the time? lose weight, look a little better naked, or if it's a male, probably gain a little bit of muscle back. Yeah. So how would you, what, what's your process? I mean, what's your thought process? Walk me through that um, in terms of you're, you're taking on a new client, because what I want, what I want listeners to hear is, is your thought behind it. Because my concern is that there are some trainers out there that it, a listener might go and start working with the trainer. The trainer's going to have you do some exercises because the exercises might be harder. Maybe the trainer saw something on Instagram and they say, well, I know this is going to be a hard workout, so I'm going to give you a hard workout. But I want what I want to do is, is to, to listen to one of the top trainers that I know, kind of walk us through the process of how you start working with a client. So I mentioned this a little bit earlier, talking about how I approach people. Um, for me, personal training starts and ends with psychology. Um, and I know that's crazy because everybody just is like, oh, it's about working out. You got to work, work, work. But you have to think about who you're talking to. So taking the example of the 40, mid-40s, former athlete, there's going to be a protective bubble around their identity. Um, they're always going to identify with what they used to be able to do, not what they currently do. And it's really hard for that person to face the facts of they've either through their own laziness or just you know time and mother nature – Um, lost a lot of that ability. And so their idea of what they can do versus what they can actually do are going to be very different. Um, So for me as a coach, um, I always start with that psychology because I want to see what that person's perception of themselves is, because that's going to dictate my exercise selection, because, you know, there's going to be a million people who think they can handle that Instagram exercise. But at the end of the day, They don't even have the foundational elements of healthy movement patterns in place before you even try that. So really all you're doing is setting up a recipe for success. They may survive that exercise. They may be sore from it and think you're the greatest thing since sliced bread because you've made them sore. But they're never really going to grow and get ahead of themselves because you're simply putting Band-Aids on the problem instead of fixing the issue underneath. Uh, And that is their understanding of how their body should move, how they should burn calories, um, how they should approach their training. Um, I have a client now was an amazing college athlete, um, played at a D1 school, you know, lived his 20s, living out that glory. He's now 50. Um, at times, he still gets caught up in his, oh, I can go heavier, I can go heavier. No, you can't. We've proven it time and time again. And then I put it on him and I, I let him kind of taste it and he realizes, oh, I can't go as heavy as I used to. And, and Sometimes it takes a humble check, but uh, I don't want to lose my train of thought here. But well, let me let me takes... uh, well let me interrupt with this real quick. 
you just said a phrase, Kevin. I don't know if I've heard it before, but it resonated with me. Survive the exercise. You know, I love that. What do you mean by that? Survive the exercise. Anyone can do anything once, right? You could go to your hardest boot camp workout in the block and you could survive it. It doesn't mean you did it well. It doesn't mean you did it right. It doesn't even mean you did it as good as the trainer expected you to do it. Um, you just simply got from point A to point B, right? It's like a car ride. You may not have made the most of your time, but you made it from point A to point B. And I think a lot of people associate like, hey, I made it through another boot camp workout. I'm good. But then they always started exercises 10 seconds late. Their form broke down. They kind of half-assed it. You know what I mean? You've seen it before as a coach. But never. <laughs> never. Never. Hey, and talking about movement, and, and, you know, what I love to hear you say about this is, Kevin, you're a practitioner. You know, for listeners, I've had a lot of, you know, I've done this whole string of, of academics and some of the top educators in the business. And, and right now, you're you're going you're going to be um, in a thread that I'm doing with with practitioners with people that are out there personal training and, and in the trenches, and what do you what are the movement patterns? Why do you why should we focus on movement patterns for training? I mean, what what's the reason behind that? So ultimately, movement patterns dictate everything we do, right? So I, I like to start with the problem and then talk about the solution. So when a lot of clients come to me and they're like, no, 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 I know what a squat is. I'm like, but do you really know? They're like, yeah, you know, like men's health. They said do three sets of 10 and that's a squat. I'm like, well, that's an exercise. So that is the dish you're eating, but it's not the idea behind the dish. Um, And so for our listeners and for anyone who's ever curious, our movement patterns are the things that our body biomechanically, meaning the physics of our body and biologically, meaning the way our cells are organized, are capable of doing. So those patterns are knee dominant, such as squatting and lunging, or hip dominant, such as hinging, uh, glute bridges. You know, we can push up, we can push in front of us, we can pull down, and we can pull into us from a horizontal motion. We can rotate. Um, and as I discussed with you uh, before this podcast, I believe in an additional three movement patterns gait, which is all of our walking, jogging, running, sprinting, and even crawling patterns. Um, stability patterns, our ability to stop motion, right? We watch sports all the time where athletes get hurt trying to stop. No contact, you know, nothing happened other than they tried to slow down and their body gave out. So we have to teach people how to stabilize their bodies in space. And then lastly, uh, something I like to call cross-pollination, or just the idea that we move through the world. We don't do a squat, stand over our head over to the top shelf. We just kind of do it. Um, and it kind of resembles a clean and jerk, but with a big box or, you know, a Tupperware thing or not a Tupperware, but a big tub of stuff, you're not going to do it like a barbell. Um, and so it's great to teach people how to string individual movement patterns together so that they navigate their life a little bit more effectively. And then no matter what exercise you put on top, you know, you take the squat pattern, you know, you and I could have film in an hour long podcast, just naming off squat variations, couldn't we? Yeah, I think so. I mean, there are a ton of, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, we could start, you know, Bulgarian split squat, split squat, you know, lateral squat, back squat, front squat. I mean, we could be here all day naming all the variations, but at the end of the day, that core nugget is the squat or knee dominant knee flexion. And I think this is, because this is something that I think is still, it's gotten better. I have to say that the media for the last few years it has gotten a lot better about talking about movement. So I think there's a much greater awareness out there of fitness consumers that movement is essential. 
but we still see, I mean, do you still have people asking like, how do you train my chest? How do, or how do I train my chest? How do, what do I do for my biceps or what do I do for my abs? Why is that kind of a, why should that go the way of the, uh, of the cassette tape? So it's funny, right? The bodybuilding approach has lessened in years. There's like, like, uh, you said, it's the media has done a better job of covering the more holistic functional approach, but there's still a lot of people, namely your younger males who really want to improve a specific body part. Um, I think we're moving away from that because we're learning that the body functions better as a whole unit. Um, but as a coach, I actually do something different than a lot of uh, fellow practitioners. I think a lot of fellow practitioners start that as a fighting point. Like, I'm going to change your mind. I'm going to show you why functional is better. I tend to answer their question while pushing them in the right direction. So someone is like, I want a bigger chest. I'll be like, okay, do you understand what the chest does? And then most of the time the answer is no. So I explain a little bit of how it abducts, how it's flexion extension of the shoulder. And I say to them, I'm like, think about why we press, why we fly. What I want you to focus on if you want a bigger chest is ask yourself, are you capable of handling a bigger load in these ranges of motion that I'm showing you. And I'll usually, you know, demonstrate a fly, demonstrate a dumbbell chest press. I'll demonstrate some overhead presses. And then I'll always teach them, especially for the guy who wants the bigger chest. I teach them that you can't have a big chest without a big back, you know, and you, and you just, I think a lot of people use the, they pick on the bodybuilding style. And I think it's an easy fight to pick because we do know functional training is so much more beneficial. But I also think instead of combating that young kid who just wants to be a little bit bigger or wants to look a little bit more like his idols um, or the girl who wants to have a bigger butt or nicer legs. I think instead of combating that and trying to sound like, you know, the holistic Dalai Lama of fitness, I think we can give them what they want and also sprinkle in what they need without them feeling offended. And, and just a little bit ago, I mean, cause you're talking about movement and I think it's, it's important because one of the things I try to explain when I lecture Kevin is I try to explain that exercise, you know, exercise is movement, you know, and so we need to teach people how to move better before they can do an exercise. And I think it was Lenny Pericino, who used to be an educator for NASM and now works with mm-hmm. Gary Gray, who said, you know, muscle isolation is like, is like teaching somebody is like getting the soloist in a choir. You have to have the whole choir singing together first before you can have a soloist do, do his or her part. And so I think it's, it's, you know, I think doing that, teaching those movement patterns is essential. Would you agree that teaching those movement patterns is essential before somebody wants, you know, wants to go into muscle isolation? Absolutely. I mean, there's a million arguments you can make why learning movement before isolation is imperative. And there's a whole, you know, litany of literature out there that shows that isolation never truly happens. Uh, Last year I was in Pittsburgh, did a really cool thing with move integrated a gym up there. Uh, and we got to do some uh, dissection of cadavers. And first of all, that was an interesting experience because I'd never you know, been around a whole dead body before. So that was unique in its own right. But you know, when you start seeing how muscle fibers cross over multiple joints and how nothing really has an actual end to it, we understand why teaching people from the get-go, like, oh, just work your biceps, or this hits the triceps long head, and you're like, well, yeah, it does, but it also hits the the small, you know, the short head, and it also hits the deltoid, and it also hits the lat. Like, you can't really isolate muscle, specific, specifically those single joint muscles, away from the larger. And I, I like his analogy. I always use analogies when I teach clients why we're doing these bigger picture items. 
I'm like, do you watch sports? And then whatever the sport they watch, I usually can find an analogy. And in DC, ironically, there's a lot of soccer fans. Uh, I didn't know as many, but yeah, people love their soccer. And I'm like, do you think, you know, Messi learned how to do an intricate, you know, flutter kick with the ball or how to dribble between multiple defenders before he could just run up and down the field and play his position? Well, no, he had to be, you know, play soccer. I was like, do you think he knew how to, you know, slice a corner kick to make sure it drops right into the bucket. No, he had to just kick the ball, you know, and learn exactly. So we need to learn these building blocks before we ever start worrying about the flair that so many people get uh, obsessed about. I think that's, that's, that's a key thing there. I mean, you're talking about kind of building it all and putting everything together. And that gets us to the concept of one of the things I've been doing on the podcast lately, Kevin, are talking about is flow. And when we're talking in the run up to, to starting the recording, you were mentioning that that you like to kind of have your clients go through flow. Can you describe what that is? Because I think that's a really unique kind of approach, a really unique way to look at exercise. Well, it's great that you asked, Pete, because I think so many people think they know what flow is and they get close to what flow is, but they just miss it. So to me and to a lot of practitioners of it, whether it's Mike Fitch of Animal Flow or um, Michelle Dalcourt of uh, Viper, um, they're, they're right on it too. It's that subconscious ability to string movements together. So, you know, going back to that sport analogy, when we're watching, you know, Rafael Nadal rally, he's not thinking about run, plant my foot in the ground, turn my hips, pull the racket, hit the ball, turn my hips again, shuffle down court. They're not thinking about those little subsequent steps that are absolutely necessary to success. They're focused on the here and now, but they don't get to that by just going to the gym and bench pressing and squatting in isolation. They play tennis a lot in their case, but you know, even in a gym setting, we are, we're stringing together lunge patterns with squat patterns, with push patterns, with core stability patterns and rotation patterns and finding a way to create subconscious movement much like dancing even. Uh, I think dancing would be the best flow state in the world is when you watch an elegant ballroom or, or uh, waltz dance or heck, even hip-hop, the way their bodies move on the beat and yet they're not thinking about the subsequent, or I shouldn't say subsequent, but they're not thinking about the little pieces. They're always focused on the big bite, but they've spent so much time practicing the, the, the connections that it looks effortless. And that's, I think that's an important thing because, you know, if you can help people move better, if you can sequence different movements together in the gym, then that means that people can do their favorite activities without having to think about it, right? I mean, because if you look at what you're doing as a trainer, um, would you describe what you're trying to do is that you're trying to almost get into doing a little bit of mind control so you can program their body to move better so they don't even need to think about it? Oh, absolutely. It's a form of mind control. Um, <laughs> I've never thought about it that way, Pete. So nice. Um, I'm going to, I feel a little bit stronger about what I do now. Um, I, I think about it this way. I've had clients and I, I'm sure you can share a story too, that have gotten hurt on their weekends between yeah. our training sessions. And they didn't get hurt because they came to the gym and they did something without me. They got hurt washing their car and they turned too quickly. Or they got hurt because their wife wanted them to finally put all the Christmas Christmas ornaments back where they belong. And they were, you know, working on a ladder, doing X, Y, Z. They're in the backyard with their kids, whatever it may be. And something pulled. And it's not a terminal injury. They don't need to go get surgery. But it's 
something went wrong and it's because the body will get the job done at its own peril, right? You hear stories of people who save lives and they end up tearing three and four muscle groups at a time or separating joints, but they saved lives because they were able to move, you know, quite literally mountains off of people. Um, the body will get the job done, but not necessarily for better. Yeah. The body always wants to be the most efficient way possible. And it's going to do that. And, and, you know, what we're trying to do as trainers is we're really trying to set up that environment where it can happen uh, subconsciously. Now I want to switch gears a little bit and, and talk a little bit of kind of like what you've done outside of the gym environment. Cause what, what's your relationship? What have you done with men's health? Cause didn't you get um, recognized uh, by men's health? Um, and didn't you, or what, what's your relationship with men's health? I'll just leave it there. Uh, so <laughs> it's funny. Uh, a couple years ago, I, on a whim, applied for what they called their next top trainer contest. And it was effectively a reality show that pitted eight male trainers against each other uh, to crown a winner and uh, give them a DVD contract and a year-long contract of publishing content for men's health. Um, in my season one, I was 25 at the time, and I just felt like good old boy. I grew up, you know, military family, country boy. I just was like, oh man, me, cameras, big stage. This is great. So I, I don't want to say I didn't try. I certainly tried my heart out, but I was just so starstruck and happy. Um, and then they asked me back for a season two. Um, and it actually did not do as well. Um, but since then I've started working with them as a part of their fitness council, um, providing information to trainers and, and the greater population alike. Uh, from more of an academic side of things. But I will say that, uh, and this is a message actually to any trainer or coach um, out there, or anybody really for that matter, is there will come a moment in your life that you don't even realize it, but it's your launching point. Not because it launches you into the stratosphere of fame and fortune, but it makes you realize that you can do so much more than you knew. And up to that point, I was just like a nerdy kinesiology student who was in shape and did pretty good as a trainer. But then suddenly I realized, wow, I have kind of a personality. I could do camera work or I'm, you know, I can do more than just go render sessions and help people. Um, and so as a message to anyone out there is just realize that sometimes you'll get an opportunity that maybe it doesn't work out completely for you in the moment, but you it awakens something in you that you did not even know. Uh, existed. And that's what happened for me with men's health. So honestly, I use men's health as a, as a reference point for when my whole life and career changed. Well, you're saying something, Kevin, that I think is really important to, to realize because it's certainly true in my experience in, in this business and just in life is that there is no such thing as blind luck. Luck is where preparation meets opportunity. You know, if you're doing the right things, if you're prepared, if you're, you have your nose to the grindstone, you're doing everything you need to do. When the opportunity presents itself, you're ready. You're prepared. You know, has that been your experience as well? Absolutely. I think you say it perfectly when you say keep your nose to the grindstone. I think, I think sadly, a lot of people think they're working hard, but they're missing that, that willingness to just go a little harder, a little longer. They want to reward themselves or whatnot. And that's not to say you have to be miserable. I think any business or success coach that's like you have to eat beans out of a can if you're ever really going to make it, like I think that just makes for good fodder and good television. But I think you have to be willing to just 
fight, fight, fight. And then one day someone's going to see something in you that you're not even aware is there because you're so focused on working that you don't, you're not aware you're even giving off that signal. And then that's where, like you say, preparation meets opportunity because, you know, we like to think we create our own opportunities and sometimes we do, but I think when you're working so hard and people can tell that you're genuine about what you do and you really give a damn, then people are excited to give you opportunities because people want to be surrounded by good-hearted, hardworking people. You hit the nail on the head. That's why I'm talking to you right now. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but I well, mean, I, you know, let me ask you this about fear. What is fear? Do you have a fear, fear of failure? I mean, do you, do you have a fear of, of not succeeding? You know, I used to. Um, I actually, this, this 2017 was an interesting year. I, uh, I battled with some anxiety and depression issues like a lot of people. And, uh, if you're out there in the fitness community, it's okay. You have great muscles, you work hard. Um, it's okay to feel the way you feel and just embrace that you are trying to compete with others and embrace that some days you're really feeling like crap and reach out to somebody. But, um, yeah, I, I fought fought off a lot of demons because I didn't want to fail. And, you know, part of it, I grew up in a military family and, and my dad was amazing and a, an amazing role model um, who always seemed to work hard and get what he wanted. And so, you know, you don't want to let your dad down. I think that's something boys, all, all men and former boys can relate to, right? Yeah, no, you definitely, you, that, that's who you kind of set your standards by. Yeah, and so, you know, and then I got into my career and, you know, you see this guy's on the cover of this and this guy's doing that. And so you put a lot of pressure on yourself and you fear failing because you're, you're thinking to yourself, like, well, how many chances do I really get? Um, you know, how many times do I get to pull the rabbit out of the hat before eventually there's no rabbit? And, you know, it broke me down. So to answer your question in an extremely long winded way, I used to feel failure. Now I fear not getting opportunities. And not being true to myself. So what I used to fear, you know, oh, God, what if I mess this up and I never get a chance again? Now it's, well, what if I'm so caught up in my own ego or caught up in my own BS that people don't like me enough to give me chances that I used to get? And so, you know, I fear letting my own ego or letting my own uh, bravado get in the way of success, if that makes sense. No, that, 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 I think you're hitting on something. I think that's part of the maturation process. I mean, you're, you just, you, we talked earlier, you said you, you turned 30 and I think that's something that as you go through your thirties, you'll realize is that you learn, cause I've come to that point. Cause I remember, you know, years ago where I wanted to kind of push hard and do everything. And now I kind of, I look at, at failure as an opportunity to learn. You know, mm -hmm. I really look at that, you know, if, if, I, if I submit an article and it doesn't get picked up or if I do this or an editor comes back and says, well, this isn't really the way I was thinking, I rather than, you know, feel challenged and like I'm not good enough. I'm like, OK, where, where can I get better? You know, and it's funny because, you know, what you're saying made me think about it's almost like um, and I just want to make uh, make this point that I've been, been married for a number of years, but it's almost like asking out that girl. If you don't go up and ask out that girl, you're never going to get that opportunity for the date. You have to be okay with not with things not going well. I am never afraid, Kevin. If if somebody says no, I would rather ask somebody and have them say no, than to not have asked at all. You know, I mean, we were talking earlier. I, I was thinking there's a phrase out there, and I might not, I'm not going to get it right, but I think um, somebody said one time, you know, our fear isn't that we um, set our goals too high and don't fail them, or set our goals too high and we don't achieve them, but the real fear is setting our goals too low and we do achieve them. 
you know, and, and it's, you know, I'm not saying the quote right, but I never, I am never afraid of asking for something and being turned down because I'd rather ask and walk away. Okay. I didn't get that opportunity than to sit around wondering what if, and, and I, I think, go ahead. I think, I think that's a lot of, a lot of what separates people like yourself who have traveled the world teaching, you know, fitness, you have uh, amazing friends in an industry who also travel the world or have books or, you know, practitioners who have, you know, uh, his and her list of clients or who's whose list of clients is, I think so many people get called up in, well, what if I fail that they forget that the greatest the greatest gift is that they even have a chance to consider failure. How many people wake up every single day in a third world country and their day is dictated by the fact that they need food, they need water, and they need to secure their shelter, right? Or how many people wake up, you know, in a war zone hoping that they're not on the other, on the wrong end of a mortar strike. And I know that's, that's hard to say, but it's, one of the greatest blessings, or if, if you're not the religious type, just gifts from the universe is that we can even contemplate the other end of a decision versus just acting because we have to. Well, and you you say something, you, you use that analogy of the military. And when I was, when I was your age, it was in the early two thousands, I turned 30 a year after September 11th. And it, I was acutely aware, Kevin, I was a personal trainer. I was a full-time personal trainer working in downtown DC. My job, when you look at it, was to make half-naked people sweaty. <laughs> That's what I got paid to do. <laughs> yeah. you know, in 2002, I turned 30 in 2002. In 2002, there were guys living in freaking containers in godforsaken deserts getting shot at every day who would trade their best day for my worst day. Yep. You know, who am I to sit there and, and, and to look down on something? I look at every opportunity as an opportunity to try something new. And I will always walk away. I will always ask for an interview. I will always ask for a chance to, to meet somebody. All they're going to do is say no. Mm-hmm. And you know what? The, my biggest fear is not trying. You know, if you want to look at it, my biggest fear is not giving it a shot. Because I don't want to sit there in 30 years from now, 40 years from now, and go, yeah, what if, what if, what if? F that. You know, I'd rather get turned down. You know I mean? Turn me down? Sure, I'm fine with that. I asked. You know, yeah, I'll, I mean, I'll, hey. I have a girlfriend that I'm head over heels for right now because uh, I was persistent. The first time she was like, no, no, stop. You, we work together. And then no, 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 no. And then the third time, no, no. And then one last time I was like, look, we don't have to get a drink. How about we just have a tea or a seltzer water? I just want to get to know you. And then, you know, we've been together two years. And, you know, I would have kicked myself had I just been like, no, don't ask her. That's stupid. You know, it's none of the good things in life just show up in your mailbox, right? Like I remember saying to a client one time when they were getting frustrated about fitness and why it was taking so long, I was like, do you think a fit body is just like publisher's clearinghouse? Do you know anyone who's ever won publishing publisher's clearinghouse? She's like, no, I don't even think it's real. I was like, well, I got a secret for you. It's really not. And moreover, neither is you don't wake up and you open up your mailbox and there's a six pack and tone triceps. Like, it, you got to work and, and you got to be willing to face yourself day in and day out in order to get to the other end of whatever rainbow it is to you. Well, this brings up an interesting question. It's kind of a, a sub sub conversation I've been having with a few other people. And I just wrote recently wrote a blog on it for 24 hour fitness. And I'll, I'll post a link to that blog down below in the show notes. But do you really think, do you think in your experience, Kevin, and, and from your point of view, are fitness goals really necessary 
is it, do we even need to have specific goals? And is there anything wrong with just enjoying the experience of exercise? I think for most people, the goals are necessary because for a lot of people who don't enjoy exercise, they need a reason why. Um, for you and I, we love trying new things, new equipment, feeling our body navigate space because we've fallen in love with it and the way it makes us feel. But I think for your average Jane and Joe, there needs to be something that makes them want to put on their gym shoes and leave their couch and put down the Fig Newtons. Um, I think that's probably the first time Fig Newtons have well, ever well, been mentioned well, on a podcast. Well, let me ask you a question real quick. Have you, have you had lunch? Because you mentioned McDonald's fries earlier. And now you're mentioning Fig Newtons. I know, right? Like, <laughs> do you need to go grab a snack? But I think, yeah. Yeah, I, but that's an interesting point. Cause I do think some people need that, that need that initial goal but what's wrong with, and I think this is one thing where, where people set up for failure, you know, because people feel like you mentioned this just, just a little bit ago is if I don't achieve a certain look, well, you know, I failed. Or if I can't, if I can't lift this weight anymore, well, I failed. Well, what about exercise for the sake of exercise? Is there anything wrong? Have you ever a client come to you and say, hey, I just want to enjoy working out? Those are like unicorns. Uh, they exist, but they're rare. Um, <laughs> and and they're amazing people. And those are people that actually as a coach can help make you better because instead of you doing your traditional, like, okay, we got to lift heavy. We got to do some volume work. All right. We got to get your heart rate up. You start playing and you start experimenting. You start cross pollinating your movements. Um, I think for anyone in the world who is exercising, exercise should get to the point where it's just the value of, wow, I'm doing something good for my body. I'm working through, I'm fighting these stimuli and adapting. Um, I think where we as fitness professionals need to get better. And I, I just wrote a blog myself about rethinking goal setting. And it's nothing new. It's what Berardi talks about with precision nutrition. It's not setting these outcomes. Um, it's setting tasks or setting process goals, things that you can do day in and day out so that every single day you're actually achieving your goals, Right. It's not, I want to lose 20 pounds. It's, I want to go to the gym and work out at least 30 minutes, five days a week. I want to eat seven servings of vegetables a day, and I want to get at least seven hours of sleep at night. I guarantee any listener or anyone in the world that if they did those three things, they'd lose a couple pounds, assuming they're not like on day seven crushing said McDonald's fig Newtons and going out to the bar till 3 a.m. <laughs> but, but, but. I think we get so caught up in where we want to go. You know, I use the analogy of winning the lottery. Have you ever bought a lottery ticket, Pete? Yeah, sure. Yeah. And is that not the best few hours between the moment you buy the ticket until the moment the drawing happens? <laughs> I see where you're going. No, absolutely. Because it's that, it's that what if, it's that possibility. Exactly right. So you start envisioning like, oh man, if I win four hundred million dollars, even after taxes, I'm gonna pay off my mom's house, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna help out my friend. Like, I, I don't want to give all my money away, but I, I love my friend, and oh man, I'm gonna buy that Lamborghini, and man, and I'm gonna put it in a savings account. I'm gonna, you know, you map it all out. And people do that when they make those outcome goals. They sit down on January 1st. They're like, this is the year I lose 30 pounds. I'm going to go to the gym every day. I'm not going to eat potato chips. I'm not going to drink so much. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. And they keep telling themselves all these can'ts, can'ts, can'ts. And then they are like, I am going to work out every day. And even fitness professionals don't work out every day. Sometimes stuff happens. And so they create these 
the setup for failure. So when you spend all of that lottery money in your head and then you don't even get a single number, it hurts a little. Even if even if later you're like, I knew I wasn't going to win. But for a moment, you hurt. And the same thing happens when the traditional person, you know, sets an outcome goal. They tell themselves, I'm going to do it. And these are all the things that I'm going or not going to do in order to achieve it. And once they mess up, it's just like tripping down a hill. They're just going to stumble, stumble, stumble until eventually they fall and give up. And I think that's something that, 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 that I can totally agree with. And I get, get, get that. Cause I think it's really important for people. I, I would, I would suggest and, and would, would argue maybe that people need to set the goal that just to enjoy exercise, to find activity they enjoy, you know, find, find something because what we know and what we're seeing in the data and what we're seeing in, in greater society is that, you know, people that don't exercise regularly, you're taking years off your life, you mm-hmm. know, it's, it's, and if you, and it doesn't need to be, you don't need to kill yourself with a wad. You don't need to, you know, do indoor cycling studios six days a week. You know, it's just as a matter of being active. And I would really challenge people listening to this to make, to make the process your goal, to make the process and say, Hey, I want to, I want to, I want to set my goal. So I learn how to enjoy exercise. Have you seen that shift in, in, in your experience as a trainer? Have you seen that shift from that client that really kind of started with you and was kind of, you know, calcitrant, didn't really want to, you didn't really want to come in, canceled a few times. Have you seen that shift and how powerful is that? I think it is the most powerful feeling you'll get as a coach. I mean, obviously it's great when that client's like, I've lost X amount of pounds or a client lifts something they've always wanted to lift. But when you can see the transformational shift in someone's attitude towards the gym, um, and it's not even the sessions. I love uh, when I see a client who used to cancel sessions and stuff, you're like walking through, you're with another client, you look over, you're like, holy crap, that's so-and-so. They're in the gym without me. And then you wave at them. They're like, hey, I'm doing what you taught me. And I'm having so much fun too. I'm going to take a spin class after this. And you're like, oh, okay, yeah, do it. And uh, I think for most people, it's learning, okay, this isn't so bad. I don't have to annihilate myself. I just have to show up and do something. And I think that's that's a the critical thing. And and your 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 experience and kind of your your point of view or or you know with what you recommend, what's a perfect fitness week work like? Because we were talking about this a little bit before. You and I both worked in a very atypical city. DC is a very atypical city. Oh, God, what is yeah. somebody? I mean, because people are so focused in their work, especially nowadays. But we won't go into the specific politics of it. But <laughs> what in your in your opinion, what's a perfect perfect week look like? If I'm a forty something office worker with a couple kids, and, and you know, what would a great week look like for me from an exercise standpoint? So I, I'll preface it with something that uh, a David Jack, a former men's health, I don't know, I don't know if he's still doing men's health, but a good, uh, good resource for me and one of the judges on men's health, he said, I'm an oddity. I, uh, I teach spin and I'm also a diehard Olympic lifting coach. Like I'm, I'm on both sides of the spectrum. So I, I have a different viewpoint than a lot of people. Um, I'm a big believer in the three, three, one method. And what I mean is three workouts that may not be the most fun, but you know, build you up. So that's typically your resistance training. So let's just take nice, easy Monday, Wednesday, Friday, um, Monday, you do some hinge work, some lower body work, Wednesday, you do some push and pull. And then Friday, maybe you'll do a full body, maybe a class at your local gym, but it's still very much focused on, uh, resistance training and doing things that take care of the structural elements of the body three days say tuesday thursday saturday 
you do something that gets you sweaty, but you have a lot of fun. Um, and so it could be a dance class, a spin class, uh, a cardio sculpting class. Maybe you like to run fast. Uh, at Equinox, we have something called precision running. I personally would never wake up at 6 a.m. and sprint on a treadmill, but so many people love it. Uh, more power to them. Um, and so you work really hard. You're getting sweaty. It's working with only your body weight. And then the one or that final day is finding serenity or whether it's yoga, some stretching, some self-myofascial release. Um, if you live in a nice area, you could just take a nice walk through your neighborhood, uh, through the woods, maybe go hiking, um, just getting out of life's flow. But I firmly believe that the perfect week is three, three, one, three workouts that build you up, three workouts that really break you down a little bit and get you sweaty, get that heart rate going and work out one workout that allows you to find a certain level of peace and serenity, uh, with yourself and with the, the world around you. I think if you were to do that on repeat, regardless of age, sex, what you do for a living, who you voted for, and whether or not you think, you know, it's tomato or tomato, uh, I think if you do those, you know, that workout, you'll be just fine for the rest of your life. Well, I, the funny thing is, Kevin, we, we, we change messages back and forth sometimes on social media platforms, and we've emailed a little bit back and forth, and, and now that I have your number, we'll be, well, I'm sure we'll stay in touch via text. Which, which oh, I'll you're do. definitely getting some cat memes. <laughs> <laughs> but, but what I like is that's very consistent with something I've been teaching for a few years in terms of like I, I, I call it my three-day split, where one day is force production, meaning you're doing a, a strength or a power workout, like your challenge. That's your challenge day. The next day is some sort of metabolic conditioning. Um, where you're doing either steady state or interval that can be high intensity or low intensity, whatever you want to do, but you're primarily doing Metcon. And then the third day is just body weight movement, which could be yoga. It could be Zumba. It could be, you know, you're just doing unloaded, you know, body weight movements. And that becomes, I call that my three day split. And then that fourth day can either be a rest day or you start, you know, if day three was relatively moderate or low intensity, they can start over again back on day one. So I think it's interesting that, you know, for listeners, you know, Kevin and I haven't exchanged a lot of ideas about this stuff, but it's interesting. I had this conversation with uh, Dr. Andy Galpin, too, a few episodes ago, where the people that understand the, the science of what we're doing are all going to there's going to be a little bit of variance between each one of us. I think the analogy is you might speak with a southern accent. I might speak with a western accent, but we're all speaking the same language. Is that something you've noticed in your career? Yeah, I, I've even uh, when I teach. So as a master instructor at Equinox, I try to teach the trainers because they're like i just i feel like i'm starting to say the same things as this person and i'm like that's good that's a great thing like there is a core foundation of science and and an anatomical physiological biomechanical principles that unless you're in a research setting you really shouldn't argue right like we we for the most part understand why the hip hinge is as imperative as it is so if you're a trainer you need to have a hip hinge in your programs now you deviate its intensity or complexity based off the client you're with, but we all agree you should do hinges, you should do gate. So, like you said, it's we all have different dialects, so we all have our certain flares. You know, I know trainers who came into fitness uh, with a little bit more of a yoga or Pilates background. I know the I was an NFL level athlete, and now I teach a lot of people speed work. So we all have our preferences or dialects, but at the end of the day. People who really study the core principles of what makes us human uh, understand the same language, like you said. 
you know, and, and that's, you know, that's something I think that people need to pay attention to as you're looking for various fitness people to follow is to look at their consistency of language. Now, as we're getting ready to wrap up, Kevin, you, we, you mentioned a little bit, um, we talked a little bit about DC. What type of people, how do people use fitness in DC? Explain a little bit about how fitness works in DC, because I think DC is an outlier where a lot of people in DC, at least in my experience, when I worked there more than a decade ago, uh, a lot of people in DC don't really use exercise. Some people do, but a lot of people use exercise maybe as a means of being healthy and a means of stealth of stress reduction, as opposed to appearance, like it might happen in other cities. What's your kind of what's your take on the DC fitness scene, and how do you know what do you think most people train for? You know, in that environment, in that city. I mean, I think uh, I'm going to tell a joke and then I'll be serious. I think for DC, exercise is the equivalent of going out into an open field and screaming at the top of your lungs. <laughs> I think for so many, and and maybe I'm partial because I do work, you know, Equinox is a little bit more um, higher brow, higher earning. And with higher earnings come typically some bigger responsibilities. I think a lot of the members have a lot on their plates managing companies and portfolios and this, that, and the other, and politics. Um, so I think for a lot of people, exercise, especially the diehard group fitness fanatics, it is this ability to go into a room and metaphorically scream for an hour, even if they're not doing everything right, even if they're occasionally substituting their own exercises in. They just want to lose themselves for their own sanity. Now, for the serious answer, I think you also have a lot of health-minded people. For a couple of years in a row, D.C. has been in the top five or ten healthiest cities in the nation. And I think you have a lot of very educated people who maybe even they're not even that wealthy yet, but they're just educated. And they understand that if they don't take care of themselves, their earning potential goes down, their life expectancy goes down, their quality of life goes down. And so being able to take care of themselves in the front or back end of their game is imperative to their sanity and their overall overarching health profile. And I think compared to other cities like New York, you know, L.A., no offense to anyone in those markets, Miami, it, they're a little bit more vanity, right? It's a little bit more how do you look in a bikini in L.A. and, and uh, Miami. It's a little bit more like how do you feel out, you know, when you're wearing the tank tops. And, then, you know, New York's very much a fashion scene. So it's about seeing, be seen. And what are you wearing when you go to the gym and where are you going after? And, and again, it's, it's not belittling those markets. It's just it's a little bit different approach towards why people work out. But I think in DC, it is ironically way more holistic. And I would agree with you because that's exactly where I was going to go with it because I worked in DC, I worked in Boston for a little bit. And as my experience in those markets, exercise and fitness is much more a means to improve quality of life. Meaning I work 12 to 14 hours a day as an attorney. I grind doing crap on Capitol Hill. I need a stress release I need some way to maintain my sanity and going and, you know, throwing 20 pound, you know, heavy, heavy balls is it, you know, or, you know, Boston people, people understand it's important. And I agree with you 100%, dude, you got Miami, you have, and I would say South New York, I would say more of like Chelsea, Soho and South is much more appearance oriented. Where like the upper West side might be just family people just for health, but you definitely have Miami, you have New York, any in Southern California, dude, from LA on down to San Diego is all about appearance and what i've learned too is that houston and dallas fall in the same fall in the same category like houston and dallas are definitely you know fitness is definitely an appearance first mindset 
But then you take a look at like, you know, you have Boston, you have Chicago, Seattle, D.C., and definitely San Francisco. Those cities, exercise becomes more about quality of life. And do you think, I mean, would you agree kind of with that in, in, in terms of your experience? Would you agree with that? And, and what do you think has been, you know, what do you think we can do to kind of change that mindset or kind of change the, the focus from appearance to just to, to quality of life? Well, I think it starts and ends with uh, the most influential coaches of the region, right? Um, you know, Boston, I would even argue, is like the performance hub of the East Coast. You know, you got Cressy and Boyle and, you know, I know Gentle Core just opened up his own spot up that way and uh, TD's Athletic Edge. Like, that Boston area is full of really good strength coaches. Um, I think it's a cultural thing. Like you have Mark Fisher in New York, right? Yeah. And he's a really good coach, but he has fun with it. Kind of like mocks some of the big box gyms, does things his own way. Um, I think, I think if you get a really polarizing coach who then teaches the holistic without being too foo foo about it, but just get people lifting heavy, doing the right thing, you know, working their body with whole, whole body compound movements in places like LA and Miami and, and New York uh, and Texas, I think you start to see a shift in people's mentality because what becomes cool is not, you know, having huge arms and shoulders, but super bad upper cross syndrome. What becomes cool is being able to, you know, do anything you want because you're pain free and your body moves the way it should. And I think that's I think that's changing. I think I think that has been changing quite a bit. But for for whatever reason, I think people still get. And that's the one thing I think too that happens as you get older. As you get older, look, dude, I drive a minivan. <laughs> I, I have two kids. I, I've been very upfront. Where right now my goal is I don't. Fo- I'm, I, I am not going to be cruising for babes on the beach. I'm not going to be sending half naked selfies of myself to. to Are you saying your minivan is not a chick mobile? Dude, my minivan rocks, but no, I don't, it's, you know, I don't crew. I don't cruise in it. You know, I put it this way. I got, I got it with a sunroof. So during the zombie apocalypse, I can blast, I can blast my way through the hordes. My wife, my, my wife can be driving and I can be rocking. I can be uh, rocking the uh, 12 gauge semi-auto out the top, but that's a there whole, that's a whole nother podcast and a whole nother conversation. But the point being that I think as we get a little bit older and we get more self-confidence, we learn how to use exercise to enhance our quality of life. I mean, that's why my tagline is have fitness gives you the ability to do what you want to do when you want to do it. You know, cause it's all about, for me, it's about quality of life. I'm getting ready. I'll probably go on a 20 kilometer mountain bike ride tomorrow with a buddy of mine at the gym. And now this guy's going to kill me, dude. He's actually, he played, uh, he played football. I think he went to town. No, he didn't go to Towson. He played somewhere in, um, he played somewhere in uh, South PA. He went to a school in South PA. He actually uh, was in the, in the Ravens training camp. He got, he got cut. Yeah. He got cut in the second round of a Ravens training camp a number of years ago. This guy is a beast, dude. He's going to grind me on the uphills. He's going to grind me into the ground, but I kick his ass on the downhill. So it's good. He's a good, he's a good riding partner. Um, But that's why I train. I train to be able to do that on the weekends. Now you just recently, we'll wrap up with this. You just recently came out with, with an ebook, right? Or you're getting ready to drop an ebook. What's your ebook about and and what, uh, how can people get a hold of it? So you're right. I am. I'm dropping an ebook this coming month here in January. Um, it's actually in the final editing process now, and it's just got to get formatted uh, so it can be read on any device. Uh, it's uh, the program design concepts, and so you know, trainers. It, it is a book for trainers, but I think if if you're just an exercise enthusiast, it would be great. 
you know, for you to understand what goes into a great program, it is where a great program starts and begin or starts and ends. And so many people start with the exercises. And I know I was there at one point. Oh, we're going to. Well, I'm going to cut in here for a second. As you can tell, some of the gremlins that run Skype, I guess they got a little tired at this point in the conversation and Skype just up and quit on us. So uh, Kevin and I had to reconnect our, you know, we had to reconnect via Skype and we continued on with the conversation. And so Kevin, you're coming out with an ebook soon, right? What, what's that going to be about and how can people get a hold of that? Oh, thanks for bringing that up, Pete. So my ebook uh, that I'll be releasing here in about 20 days in January is uh, Program Design Concepts. And the whole backbone of it is that so many people know all these exercises. And in fact, one of the things I talk about is sorting your exercises. Um, and so many people understand, you know, we have the physiologists out there who understand the con, you know, the, the foundational science, but it's, it's linking those two together. And how does a practitioner of exercise, whether you're a trainer, a coach, or even just a diehard exercise enthusiast who likes to write your own programs, how do you link the hard science that we don't really argue against as hardly, um, or as hard, I, that's, let's use real words here. Um, you don't argue against that, but yet how do you mix it with some of the exercises that you should or think you should be doing in the gym? And so I cover everything from, you know, how heavy you should go uh, during certain phases to why you should have a, an exercise ladder. So something I'm always teaching is pick a movement pattern like a squat and build a ladder. In the middle is something, you know, average intensity, average complexity. At the bottom of the ladder is going to be something with absolutely no intensity no complexity so say a squat you know the bottom of the ladder would be a sit to stand so for the 90 year old lady just getting her health on that's perfect but for the 21 year old trying to get big probably not necessary but you build a ladder of seven to ten exercises of like adequate progressions where you don't want to jump right to the barbell front squat let's focus on getting great at goblet squats then rack squats and then split squats then we'll worry about the barbell um, and just a variety of different factors on how to write better programs because ultimately a program like a client is a living organism. Um, it should adapt and have a certain level of fluidity and direction to it um, so that people continue to see results and never hit those frustrating plateaus. Um, and it will be available through my website, kevinmullinsfitness.com. Um, I'll be hosting it on ClickBank, which I think is a great website. Um, so all the payment and this, that, and the other goes through there. It'll be $19.95. Um, but it's it's over 60 pages once they format it down of just pure in-the-grit program design knowledge. Um, and uh, I'm going to try to do something, hopefully, to, with the Personal Training Development Center. I got to talk to John Goodman about that. But uh, hopefully it, it will be available in a multitude of places. Cool. Well, I think that would be a great resource. I mean, for people that might just be, you know, hardcore enthusiasts who aren't trainers, but really are into exercise. And that's one of the things I think, Kevin, that, that I've been seeing the last few years, and I think we'll see more of, is education for the consumer market. You know, and that's where, I mean, you, you mentioned that you teach other personal trainers at Equinox. And I think that's one area to kind of keep your eye on is doing these workshops to teach people how to design their own programs. I think there's you know, maybe I'll be in touch with you offline about that because I think there's there's a lot of potential there. Well, I think you know everything, every niche, whether it's cooking or uh, I don't know driving, gun ranges. There's always classes for the general population, right? And fitness we haven't done that. We've just been like, 
hi, we're the gym, come do what we tell you to do. And that's the end. Or we'll hire you, you know, we'll get you a trainer and then you do what they do. And then people do their own research, but they only, you only understand what you read by what you know, going into the reading. Hmm. Um, but yet if you look at other things such as cooking schools, they teach you why we cook chicken on certain temperatures or why you cook beef a little hotter, but shorter duration or why you put tomatoes last in a saute. Um, you know, you learn these elements of what makes a great dish. Great. Like we all know, like chicken Parmesan is only so many elements, but what separates an amazing jaw dropping chicken Parmesan from a typical chain restaurant is really the respect to the ingredients of that bigger dish. And I think you're right. I think the industry as a whole is starting to say, Hey, you don't have to be a trainer or a coach to know this. Let's show you how you can take better care of yourself. And here's the real information you should be working with. Dude, I think that's a great, you just, you just hit the nail on the head. I think it's a great way to describe that. You know, do you do a lot of cooking yourself? It sounds like you have a little experience there. Uh, I, I like to pretend like I'm a chef. Uh, I'm very, very lucky. One of my best friends from high school, uh, he was a major part of all purpose, a big, uh, actually they, they brand themselves as a pizza shop, but it's the best Italian I've ever had. That isn't in Italy, um, in down in ninth street on the, in DC. Um, but he's a chef at multiple places and he's taught me a lot of the secrets behind, you know, when you time ingredients and it really does make a world difference for anyone listening, save your tomatoes for last in that dish. If you're putting fresh tomatoes, they don't need that long to heat up. You you'll thank, you'll thank yourself for waiting until the last element. Hey, I just picked something up on that. I might be making a big batch of chili tonight for the family. And now, now to wrap up, you know, one of the things I miss, where in DC do you live? What part of the city do you live in or do you live outside the city? So I'm technically in the West end. So I'm on uh, end street right there by, uh, right before you get down into Georgetown, not quite DuPont circle. Okay. Um, we're in like the forgotten area, if you will. We're not really a neighborhood. We're between neighborhoods. Well, my wife and I, we lived uh, when, you know, for two years between 99 and 2001 before we bought our place in Adams Morgan. We lived right off of DuPont Circle. We were right on New Hampshire. We were on New Hampshire, but right by New Hampshire and Ennis and Nancy, just yeah. a little bit south of the circle. And I loved that part. I loved that part of the city. And, and the one thing I miss, dude, the one thing I really miss about D.C. is Rock Creek Park. And what I used oh, yeah. to do one morning a week from uh, from your club one morning a week during the summer, we'd run from the club and we'd run over to the Watergate stairs and I'd get anywhere from eight to 15 people in that class. And, you know, I'd always go and we'd, you know, we, everybody would go, we'd, we, you know, the, the fast ones would run ahead and wait, but we'd always go run uh, the Watergate stairs right by the, the link, the, um, Jefferson, no Lincoln Memorial, right behind the Lincoln mm-hmm. Memorial. Yeah. We run in those about seven thirty, seven forty in the morning. That dude, that is awesome. I mean, I miss, that's one of the things I miss about DC. I don't miss the traffic and there are a few other things I don't miss. So, I kind of, uh, dude, I'm envious of you, man. You, that's a, it's a good place to be, and you're the right age to be there. Well, what's really cool about it, and I, I highly recommend it to anyone who ever visits D.C., and obviously you're listening to Pete's podcast, is when you get into D.C., get settled wherever you are, but get down to the monuments, get on your running shoes, set your favorite playlist, and just go from the Capitol to the Lincoln Memorial, wrap around the Potomac, and go back home. It is... It is amazing to bring your history textbook to life step by step, and you'll be dodging the tourists and the random flag football games going around. But there is something super surreal about 
jogging right next to the Washington Monument and you're looking up at it like I remember being, you know, four, you know, six years old learning about what that is. And there's the White House. And oh, wow, look, it's the Jefferson. And it's just talk about a scenic route. It's it's uh, it's breathtaking. Well, I played rugby. Uh, I played rugby down the mall for a few years with the Potomac Athletic Club. They're now the uh, Potomac Exiles. Yeah, we used to go run the hills in the Washington Monument. That was one of our the conditioning drills that we would do. And actually, for a while, I don't know if it still is, but one of the guys on the team, his wife worked for an appropriations subcommittee on the house, and that stretch of land right across from the uh, Holocaust Museum was called the National. It was it was in legislation as the National Rugby Rugby Field. And it got money every year to be reseeded. <laughs> huh, I so, never knew that. Yeah, so it was one of those nice little things about uh, having the the and, and rugby, dude. If you want to know a mafia, if you want to kind of know an underlying mafia in DC, the rugby community is an underlying. The rugby community. If you get into the rugby community in DC, you 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 can uh, stretch your wings pretty far in terms of connections, in terms of uh, getting to know a lot of people. Everywhere from bartenders to chiefs of staff, you can get a strong community going on. Yeah. And, and what's amazing about rugby is that everyone from around the world respects the living, you know, what out of it. It is a, it is a tough sport with real athletes. Yeah, no, it's a, I was a front row player and I still get out. That's why I trained it. I, I keep myself fit to try to play a, if I, if I try to play a couple old boys tournaments a year, go out and run around a bunch of old men trying to relive our youths. We're old guys that want to be. It's basically like fight club, but that's, again, that's a whole other conversation. So cool. Kevin, it's Kevin Mullins, fitness.com. Yes, Kevin. I kept it simple. I always, to finish with a little joke, people are like, what's your website again? I'm like, what's my name? What do I do? Dot com. So yeah, Kevin, <laughs> Kevin Mullins fitness.com. It's, it's that forward. I, I do a lot of, I try to do a blog a week. Um, and then, like I said, eBooks coming out. I'm actually, I'm in the middle of doing a, a 2008 kickoff program for women. Uh, I'm launching the men's program in two weeks, uh, just to get people doing the right things. I'm, I'm in a position now, and I know you understand this, Pete. I'm, I'm tired of people being led down the wrong path. I feel like so many people, just to make a buck, will walk people right into uh, a buzzsaw. Uh, and and I, if I have my druthers, I'm going to stand up and redirect people down the right road. Well, you're doing the right thing. That's why I want to get you on the podcast, and that's why I started doing that. And did you say 2008 or 2018? What, what is oh 2018 I, I was going to say 2008 I think I'm 10 years late oops <laughs> you got it man hey dude I really I really appreciate the opportunity to get to know you a little bit better and, and to catch up like this and I really thank you for your time and I know we're going to see good things from you the next couple of years man well I appreciate that Pete and keep doing what you're doing and to all the listeners you have made the right decision Pete is a guy who I can say from personal experience is just as humble as you believe if you've never met him uh, I think you can catch him at just about every idea conference in the world alright Pete yep yep that was a fun conversation I first met Kevin a few years ago I think it was back in 2013 when I did a workshop at uh, the Sports Club LA that was a club I used to work in that ultimately became Equinox when uh, Equinox bought the company back in 2014. But I first met Kevin back in 2013. And he, you know, the way it works this day, these days, you meet somebody, you connect with them, obviously, via Facebook and other social media. And he's somebody I've been just kind of uh, in touch with digitally for the last few years. And I don't know if our, I think we saw each other maybe at a conference last year. And a quick note on that, he mentioned the IDEA conferences. IDEA is a trade association of personal trainers and group fitness instructors. They're like the big, I guess they're the big fitness industry association for the service side. You have the health club association, but they're the service side. Anyway, they asked me this year, I'm, I'm excited to be doing this, but I'll be doing a series of podcasts for IDEA on fitness entrepreneurship. 
So I'll be speaking with various personal trainers, studio owners, and equipment inventors about how they got started in their business and talk specifically about business design strategies or business strategies for growing a fitness business. So keep an eye out for that. I'll be launching that through Idea. I think we start, um, they first started in in April of 2018, and I have uh, some great interviews lined up for that. Anyway, back to the the, uh, interview today with Kevin Mullins. But Kevin's one of these guys who I just, you know, pay attention to. He applied for, was a finalist in a couple contests with Men's Health, where they're looking for one of the next up-and-coming trainers. He teaches internally, and that's where I got my start. I, I used to teach internally for a large health club organization where I was responsible for educating the other personal trainers, and that has evolved into other things and into some of what I'm doing now, working with various companies, you know, teaching at workshops and stuff. And that's the one thing I always tell people looking to get into doing the master training side of fitness is start where you are, work in the health club that you're doing, use that to get your reps. For about two or three years, almost every weekend, about two or three weekends a month, I was teaching workshops internally, and that, that's time in front of people. Also teaching group exercise, being up in front of people gets you more comfortable in a public speaking environment. So Kevin's doing that right now, and he's trying to evolve himself into being another Nick Tuminello or another Tony Gentilcore, a couple of guests I've had on the show recently, and I think he's well on his way. He has a good point of view. Um, he went to a great school, University of Maryland, has a great kinesiology program. That's his background. He's been studying the right stuff and doing the right things. So it's really, I'm excited to give him a platform to be able to talk about what he's doing and be able to talk about how his approach to fitness can help people. And it's not just his approach. He's taking a scientific approach based on the research that's out there. So on this podcast, I've had some of the researchers. I've had people like Brad Schoenfeld and Martin Gabala, people doing the research that people like Kevin Mullins are using to help people like yourself get results. That's how I'm trying to tie this all in here together. I'm trying to have the researchers talk a little bit about what they're doing on the research side. I'm trying to get some trainers and you know male, female trainers come in, talk about how are they applying the research. You know Whether they're on Instagram like Lita Lewis or whether they're working in a gym like Kevin Mullins, how are they using the information that's out there to ultimately help you, the consumer, try to achieve your fitness goals? So that's what I'm trying to do with the podcast, and hopefully uh, we're doing a good job with that. On that note, if you enjoy the podcast, if you could take a moment, give us a rating. You know how it works, folks. The more ratings you get, the higher up in the search rankings you go. It doesn't take any time. Just give us uh, take just take a few seconds. Give a quick rating. Let other people know what you think about All About Fitness. You know, the more people that find out about us, uh, the more people can find out how to use fitness to enhance their quality of life. If you want to connect with me, if you have any ideas for a guest, I got a couple great guests coming up. And a couple of them came from listeners. So I really uh, want to thank you for the people who have been sending in guest ideas. I've been taking a look at them, and I've been filtering through and reaching out to people. So I have a couple great guests coming up. I have an entire, actually, I'm going to do a series of four to six just phenomenal interviews that uh, are really going to, I think, uh, take this podcast to the next level. If you want to connect with me, if you have any ideas for guests, please shoot me an email, Pete at PeteMcCallFitness.com. That's Pete at PeteMcCallFitness.com. Connect with me on Instagram, Pete McCall underscore fitness. That's Pete McCall underscore fitness on Instagram. And Twitter is Pete MC underscore fitness. That's Pete MC underscore fitness. I'm going to have links down to Kevin's book in the show notes. I'm going to have a couple links to some recent content I put out there. And I also have a link so you can see the sponsor of the show, 
Terracore, you can see their product in action. Thanks for stopping by All About Fitness. I look forward to having you join us for future episodes.